Okay, we continue in our uh, seven-part series. I think this is number five uh, in the seven-part series. We come to the latter part of the third chapter, a series entitled Assurance and Encouragement in an Uncertain Age. And I'll read these words for us. I hope you'll follow along in your Bible. First uh, John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And this is where John says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Well, I've got a question for you. I always like to ask questions. In the United States last year, how many new books do you think were published? I mean, would it be 500,000? Do I hear a million over here? Two million over here? Three million in the back? Would you believe more than four million new books published in America, according to an online article that I was reading just full of statistics. Now, just think about that a moment. If I got my math correctly, Taylor can check me on that. That's more than 10,000 books a day to read to keep up with all that was published this past year. If they, in fact, all dealt in knowledge. But, of course, a lot of books are fiction, children's fiction. In fact, I was surprised to find out it's one of the highest-selling categories in publishing today. Still, that figure of 4 million-plus is a staggering statistic. In some ways, we might say, as Americans, we're obsessed with knowledge, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. As Benjamin Franklin once said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. But you know, Solomon wasn't quite that positive. In Ecclesiastes 12, he says, Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Sounds like a college student at the end of the semester, doesn't he? We've all been there and done that in some way or another. But the reason we're talking about knowledge and knowing things is because this word to know and this concept of knowledge is very near and dear 
uh, to John's heart in this letter. Some form of the word of knowledge or the verb to know is used right at 40 times or on average every two and a half verses in this letter. And the reason this word is so crucial to John is because of his purpose in writing in the first place. We can find the major purpose of this letter over in the 5th chapter, the 13th verse, where John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why this letter exists. He wants us to be sure that we're saved. And that's important because a lack of assurance in our spiritual lives can be like a crippling illness where we can't accomplish all we would like to do and all that we need to do in life. God wants you and me to know that we truly belong. That we belong to Him. And John helps us with that throughout this letter and especially in this particular passage before us. You know, much like America in this 21st century, John's community is a community under attack. From his words in these chapters, we can't tell all that was going on in the lives of his readers and the church or churches to which they belonged. But it should be safe for us to say that there was conflict, there was struggle, there's rejection, there's, it seems, where a whole batch of Christians have just left this church or this group of house churches. There's, in other words, there's a splintering of the community. All of which can lead to discouragement. It can lead to despair and doubt. It can lead to a type of spiritual malaise. And with this in mind, John gives his pastoral answer as to how we can know that we are Christians. You know, he's speaking to those who are left. A whole batch of Christians had gone and had left the church. He actually gives two answers In much of this third chapter, the first of which we touched on in our third sermon just barely, that first answer is found in the passage before our text, verses 11 through 18, where John reminds us again that one way that we know we are saved is to have a Christ-like love for one another. In essence, that we love one another as the body of Christ. It's kind of like that song we used to sing at Bon Clarkin, or we, I did as a child. You know, they'll know we are Christians by our what? Love. You know, that's where John, in that passage before our text, that's where he gets very practical. And in verse 17 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Or as James would put it in his letter, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed or in lack of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed, what does it profit? You may remember that in bragging about the churches in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says they gave beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. But first, they gave themselves to the Lord. You see, when you first give yourself to the Lord, when you are a servant of the Lord Jesus, you can't help but want to reach out in love to other brothers and sisters in the church. That's why we have a pastoral discretionary fund around here that in part is funded by our annual budget that directly helps those who have financial needs in the life of this church. And it helps others outside the congregation as well. But it's important that as a body of believers, we excel in this gracious work, as Paul labels it there in 2 Corinthians 8, to supply the needs of those in the body right here as well as the greater community. And of course we help many other local ministries, Christian ministries through our annual budget. John says when we do this kind of thing, we are assured of our faith. Then in verse 19, our text today, John says by this... We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Now we've spent all this time on the passage before our text because this phrase, by this, at the beginning of verse 19, points back to what John has just written in verses 11 through 18. By this, in other words, by these acts of love for one another, we have this assurance. And so we have to read the text that is before us today and understand the connection between the two. How can we know we're a Christian? We have Christ-like love for one another. But, but, but we know we're not as faithful as, at that as we should be. Our hearts sometimes condemn us. But that's okay because of what John says here in verse 20. For when our heart condemns us, he says, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Now some commentators see judgment going on here, but John is trying to reassure his readers. We're going to have doubts about our faith. That is a given. Notice he uses the word in the text whenever. He doesn't say if our hearts condemn us. He says whenever our hearts condemn us. We are going to have that kind of spiritual warfare going on in our hearts. In other words, we might know that we're forgiven, but we might not feel forgiven on some particular day or days. But when our hearts are weighed down with those kinds of doubts or guilt, John tells us 
that God will ease those burdens and it's because He knows everything. And we have to keep that in mind. Do you remember the encounter that Peter has with Jesus after Jesus' resurrection? I'm talking about the story we find in John 21 where, you know, Peter had denied Jesus, knowing Jesus, three times before his crucifixion. And so on this occasion in Galilee, Jesus asked Peter three different times, Peter, do you love me? And at the third question about whether Peter loves him or not, Peter blurts out something. And you know, sometimes in the Gospels we see Peter blurt out something and it's ridiculous. You know, but this time it makes really good sense. Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know. You know that I love you. Like Peter, we can't rest in what we're feeling at any given time, but we rest on God and His promises. We rest on Jesus who's greater than our hearts and knows everything. As the Reformation Study Bible put it, the Word of God which acquits us must prevail over the Word of our hearts that would condemn us. So we know we're a Christian when we have Christ-like love for one another even if our hearts at times condemn us. And then we come to his second answer as to how we're to know we're a Christian. The second answer is that we, as one scholar put it, possess God-given, spirit-abiding heart confidence that we possess God-given, spirit-abiding heart confidence. Now you may be thinking, well, what does that mean? It means that through the power of His Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, God produces three gifts, if you will, in His children that John lists for us here in the rest of the text. The first is found in verse 23. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our faith in Christ is all important. We know that, we say we know that, but do we really know that? You know, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, For by grace have you been saved through faith. This faith in Jesus is all important. Think of the words of the hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on what? Jesus' name. You see what this means? This is so important because this means that the confidence of your faith is not anchored in this church It's not anchored in the ARP denomination. It's not anchored in our doctrinal standards. It's not anchored in this 
the members of this church. It's not anchored in our family or in your pastors. As I tell people all the time, pastors come and go. But the church stands forever. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will go one day, just like Bob went before me. But that should not have any effect on you as a congregation and on your faith. Because your faith is in Jesus Christ. Your faith stands upon the truth of God's Word and the good news of the gospel. As Isaiah 40 teaches, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. And according to Hebrews 6, 19, the hope that God gives us through His Word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know, these uh, seminar leaders yesterday talked about hope a lot, and they should. Well, the hope that God gives us through His Word and through the work of His Son acts as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. As the Ray Bolt's gospel song phrases it, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. The anchor holds. In spite of the storm. To my way of thinking, as John talks about belief in the name of Jesus Christ here, I think he means the all-encompassing Christ. Everything that he is, the Son of the living God, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, and the life. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And on and on we could go. That's the first gift that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Then if we continue in verse 23, we can see that not only do we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, but the second gift is, or result, is that we love one another, just as He has commanded us. This takes us back to the idea that we're to walk as Jesus walked, that we're to believe and obey His commandments, and specifically here, that means concrete and practical acts of love for others. God gives us a heart to help our brothers and sisters in the faith. To use the old cliche, I sort of feel like I'm preaching to the choir here because you're very good at that as a congregation, helping each other. I hear of your acts of love for one another. I see the evidence of it 
You provide meals for the sick. You give flowers to the homebound. You, you, your diaconate has a special committee uh, to spend time with widows and widowers. There are cards and calls and visits and chores done and so much more. This is who you are as a church. And John is making the point here that this sort of thing is an evidence of your faith. Of your saving relationship with the Lord Jesus. And then the third gift is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. We can see that in the very last sentence of our text. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This means that the Christian faith is not just about things on the outside as important as they might be. Whether we're talking about orthodox belief or living a good moral life or whatever it happens to be. The Christian walk also involves the Holy Spirit. There is something spiritual about who we are as servants of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit is important to John in this letter. This is the first of six different times we see him mentioned. And the way in which he is connected, the Spirit, to our assurance of our faith is so important that John will mention the exact same thing in the next chapter, chapter 4. Of course, you realize... That John is following the teaching of Jesus. That we are privileged to overhear in John's gospel from the upper room. When Jesus begins in the 13th chapter of the gospel of John. To wash his disciples feet. And then through chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and And 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, all of that teaching, we're privileged to overhear. And John has kind of taken all of those chapters of teaching of Jesus and funneled it down right into these paragraphs here in this letter. Because in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We see there the same type of outward evidence of faith that John has mentioned time and time again in this letter. If the love of Jesus is in our hearts, if if the power of His Holy Spirit has transformed us into new creations, we are going to keep His commandments. We see that on the outside in obedience. But then Jesus also says right after that sentence, John 14, I will pray the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, you know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. An inward evidence to some extent. That can be, the Holy Spirit can be inward and outward. John is 
simply reiterating the teaching of his Lord and explaining how these evidences provide assurance to you and me in our daily living even as we undergo hard or difficult or uncertain times. As we've seen from this text, we have a God-given, Spirit-abiding heart confidence. And because of the Spirit's presence, His power, His wisdom, His words at the right time, His guidance, all of these and more give us that confidence. And because He lives in us, we abide in God the Father and we abide in God the Son. You see how John wraps it all up in a Trinitarian bow right here at the end of our text. According to John, this is what we know. This is the knowledge that needs to be in our minds and in our hearts. The question is, do you know this to be true in your life? May you be able to answer yes by God's power to His honor and glory. Amen. Amen.